Welcome to the Crackpots Podcast. I'm Pastor Rebecca. And I'm Pastor Chad. And Easter. He's risen. <laughs> he is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Took a little while, but people got that. Eventually. <laughs> In the middle of the service. <laughs> uh, it's always a challenge preaching texts that everybody knows or think they know yeah or thinks they knows or just frankly hears every year yeah. like i mean yeah there's four gospels and you know we go through particularly with easter um you know we go through easter from the perspective of each of the four gospels but people generally know the easter story right you know christmas you get two gospels to work with um People generally know the Christmas story, so the ta- the the task is always how do you present it some way something as something fresh. Um, yeah, and so. and believe it or not, I actually in like hearing the text again. I wasn't preaching, but hearing the text again, kind of um, from from the John version of it, it, it. I was I was kind of marveling at the sequence of events. Mary shows up at the tomb. The tomb is empty. She runs. She tells Peter and the disciples. Peter and John run. See, oh, yep, the tomb is empty. They turn around and go away. Hey, she was right. (laughs) And then Jesus appears to Mary, who kind of stuck around the empty tomb. And I just, I guess I find it interesting that... Jesus waited like till the guys were gone <laughs> to show up to what you know when Mary was by herself. Yeah. And 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 recognizing this is a little different than the other gospels um in terms of how, you know, with Jesus appearing and all that kind of fun stuff. Um but, you know, that he 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 shows up, talks to her, whatever before then addressing the disciples, which doesn't even do I, I mean I think the next thing we get is he's walking on the beach and they're out fishing they, they go back to, to everyday I thought, life I thought Thomas was next and then they're on the beach Is okay, that backwards maybe, no 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 you're probably right um, holy crap mark this down I know I know I'm, I'm, I'm getting things yeah I think I think Thomas is next yeah um He's alive, he's alive. Is this where he shows up in the... See, and, this is where I get all my Gospels mixed up. This, yeah. is, this is where he, he like defies the laws of physics and shows up in the locked room. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yep. Very David Blaine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, point being, he, he takes the time to, to tell Mary first and then goes on to talk to the disciples after that. So I just, I find, I, I just find that interesting. Yeah. And, and of course, find it very interesting as well that, you know, if, if women are the first to proclaim it. And that's pretty consistent. That's very consistent. That's consistent in the Gospels. Yeah, that's consistent in all four Gospels. Um, that, that, that the women are the first to, to say something. And yet, 2,000 years later, we're still having a battle over women being allowed to proclaim the gospel. Yeah. 
I, it, it baffles, it just baffles. <laughs> it, yeah. I, well, that's why, I, like, it, it just, it makes, it makes no sense to me. Like, I, again, I grew up with, with female pastors. Um, so for me, like, the idea that women shouldn't be pastors was never, like, it didn't, I was so unaware, I didn't know it was a thing, really, growing up. And then get older, and I'm like, okay, so the Catholic Church, okay, well, that's weird, but okay. And I thought, well, it's just a weird Catholic thing. And then, you know, as I got more in tune, I'm like, what? Well, that's dumb. Like, I, I don't know. Like it, like, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. I grew I up know. around it, not so much that it wasn't allowed, just that it was, it was seen as odd. It's kind of a, huh, that's weird. Yeah. Um, I'm sort of thing. And then I had neighbors right before I went to seminary who were Missouri Synod and were very adamant that when I made my announcement that I was going to be going to seminary, that I was defying God's will and all kinds of stuff. And I was like, well, it's gone to an awful lot of trouble <laughs> to get my attention. So, because <laughs> this was not on my list of things <laughs> that I had as a career choice. Like, like I just, I guess I just, I guess I just don't understand why anyone proclaiming the gospel would be against God's will, right? Like, like I don't, I don't understand why any, like, why anyone proclaiming the gospel is against God's will. Like, that, that's kind of, yeah. That, well, because you know, we're not supposed to tell men, except. I mean, I mean there's, except when it happens in the Bible, I'm. <laughs> I mean, there, I mean, there's, there's really. Like, I'm really confused. There's really like two commandments, the great, or there's really two, the great commandment, and the great commission. Yeah. Right. And the great commission is go make disciples. Well, I mean, essentially, that's proclaiming the gospel. Like, I, I, I just, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. It, it just, it's, it's just weird to me that, that's a thing. Well, like I said, this, this kind of flies in the face of other parts of scripture where, you know, let's face it, Paul makes some fun little um, statements about women in leadership roles, <laughs> yeah. um, not having, quote, authority or whatever over, you know, and of course that's a translational issue and all that, you know. And then also heavily relies on uh, Phoebe. Well, I mean, yeah, and, and, and looking at those texts being contextual and all kinds of other things that were going on in places like Ephesus, um, and, you know, to, we've talked about this before, about how you hold up one little thing in, in Scripture as, oh, we have to hold to this, but we're going to ignore all the other places where women are edified, where women are lifted up, where women are... Um, Put in charge. I mean, yeah. Deborah. I mean, honestly, I, I always, I always love the well. Women only do it when men fail, and <laughs> like seriously. <laughs> honestly, like the only time, and again, you can correct me here. And this is just off the top of my head. The only time I, I really recall women being or Jesus even being somewhat dismissive of women throughout his ministry was to his mom at the wedding in Cana when he's like, yeah. woman, woman, <laughs> not my time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, otherwise, I mean, 
you know, the adulterous woman, the woman at the well, the, you know, the woman, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I mean, call me crazy, but I don't think Jesus thought it was an issue. Um, call me crazy, but I don't think Jesus thinks a lot of things are issues that the modern church uh, makes issue of. Um, yeah, there, there are a lot of things Jesus makes no mention of or addresses, things that honestly were present in his day and time to some degree. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, the, the, I, these, were, these were not issues that were, you know, that are brand new issues. No, I mean, we can address the rainbow elephant in the room if we want. Um, but again, it's one of the issues that has become an LGBTQ issue. people existed back then. Yeah. Just plain and simple, yeah. but there's not a whole, Jesus doesn't really address that particular topic or right. issue. Right. Um, but it. Well, and I, again, I think that I was more vague on Sunday you know, talking about how we want to legislate Christianity into existence. Oh, I knew what you were talking about. I'm sure you did. <laughs> um, but there's a little bit of plausible deniability. What are you talking about? Oh, that thing? Oh. Um, I, I, I mean, you know, you, but it's, it's so true on so many issues. You know, we want to legislate things into Christianity or in, into society based on, I'm going to air quote here, Christian principles that really aren't, based on Christian principles, um, and certainly aren't loving and inclusive, and, you know, I just, yeah. I don't know. It, 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 it's frustrating to me that, you know, I, I, I read Scripture, and I keep seeing all these ways you know, where God is loving, and where, you know, Christ calls us to love and care for one another, and then in the name of Christianity, we go out and we do things that are just, that just suck. They do things that are, are downright harmful to people. And I'm like, I, I, like, I just don't understand. Like, I, I, don't, I don't understand. And I, I, I want to understand. And again, this goes back to, you know, you know back to one of, my, one of my biggest pet peeves right now with the world is you know we can't have those you know we we're unwilling to have those conversations, um, and and we're unwilling to hear the other side. And and I mean I've I've had I've had a few conversations in the, over the past few months, you know regarding you know Christianity and you know particularly the LGBTQ thing. Um, be, well, I shouldn't say it as a thing as though it's dismissive. The LGBTQ issue uh, within the church, or perceived issue within the church, and I, I just, I, I just, I guess I just don't understand. I don't, I don't understand that that quote other side that wants to be wants to push back and be exclusionary, um, because I just don't, I just don't see that in the Gospels. I mean, and 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 maybe there's no other time in the Gospels then Holy Week, you know, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter that scream to me inclusion, right? So literally the dude that, that hands Jesus over to die, you know, Jesus breaks bread with, washes, you know, washes feet and breaks bread with people who turn him over and deny him. Like, 
the people who persecuted him, he's hanging on the cross, and, and you know, his last words are, Father, forgive them. I mean, like, at what point, at what point do we not understand that Jesus is about inclusivity and forgiveness and grace and love rather than all this toxic, toxic Christianity really is what it comes down to. Like, I, I just, like, I, I really, really deeply struggle with it. And, and, I, and I, I struggle with it not just for the communities that are marginalized, you know, for women, you know, who are marginalized in other, other you know, sects of Christianity, the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community who, you know, is marginalized, people of color who are marginalized, you know, I, I don't just, I don't just, it doesn't just bother me for those communities, it bothers me for the people who, who, you know, persecute or push back or want, want to exclude those groups because they're, they're missing the fullness of, of God's community. They're, they're missing the fullness of God's creation. They're missing, you know, a segment of, of, of God's people that it's sad. It's sad for, it's sad for on both ends. Um, and it's, sad, it's sad for the gospel. I, I truly think that, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, Jesus weeps. You know, the way we the way we divide. Um, so my my wife made me a T-shirt. She got a cricket. Um, <laughs> she, she's she's, fin- she's finally using it. She's she's been she's, so Easter apparently was the resurrection of Jesus and the cricket. Gotcha. Um, when I got home, it was a T-shirt factory. Um, so I saw the one she made for Quinn. Yeah, so she made one for my daughter. <laughs> Um, which is completely appropriate. Um, and then she made, she made two for me. Um, one is a picture of Jesus, and it says, oh my God, guys, that's not what I said. <laughs> um, which is funny in and of itself. And then, but when Anna and Quinn actually read the shirt, it's even more funny um, because they say it with that like, sort of valley girl snark. Um, but I, I mean, I think there's so much of, so much we pull into into quote Christianity that is, oh my God, that's not what Jesus said, um, and it just well, and it's troubling. And, and 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 I do, like I said, I know where people get certain things. Correct. Um, you know, they they pull it from Leviticus, and they pull it from their interpretations of Romans one. While they eat their shrimp. <laughs> Um, Let's have a shrimp cocktail and read some Leviticus. Yeah. So we can persecute people. Oh. oh. And I, I, you know, but and you have some Christians who will do this thing where they actually do keep kosher and and whatnot, trying to to fulfill all those those sorts of things, thinking they still need to follow those those particular um, laws and rules, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, so hold on, you said, pause for one second. We have, I have friends who are Jewish, and we were talking about, I said, how was your Passover? Oh, it was great, you know, we did really good, you know, we did Passover, and then we did, we, we did, we drank some tequila. I said, oh, I said, I did, no, that was, I said, oh, I get it, you're trying to be inclusive to the Jewish-Mexican community to make sure that, the, you know, you can, I said, so is tequila even kosher? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, just a little side thing, we used to have a Jewish Guatemalan um, 
cer cer group that would come in and do their 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 Passover Seder. Well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I actually have a little bit of a video of them doing some dancing and stuff in the FDC. It Ooh. was, I was like, wow, that's just not something you see every day. No. Um, and I, I found it enthralling. But, um, you know, it's, on the one hand, I get where, okay, people interpret things the way they interpret things, and they're trying to do what they think is being faithful um, to Correct. what they think scripture is saying. And, well, you know, to, it's, 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 it, it's obviously it's different than how I interpret it well, and, and how and, I understand it. And to be it. fair, it is what certain portions of scripture do say. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Certain, certain translations of scripture. Right, well, translations, interpretations, et cetera, et cetera, all right. of that, you know, goes into it. Right. And to... You know, just sit there and and say that doesn't exist in scripture, it is not entirely true. Correct. Um, it does exist within scripture, but so does genocide, <laughs> and so do a whole lot of other things that I think we struggle with when we look at the the crucified crucified and risen Christ, and make us go, wait a minute. Okay, I get this might be in scripture, but this doesn't seem to jive with the Jesus that we have been given. Yep. And and how do we struggle with that and how do we 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 work with that and and, and that framework and that understanding. Um, you know, a lot of people are, you know, still still convinced that, you know, you Everybody who doesn't believe in Jesus is going straight to hell. And I know I've had many a, a family member come to me really, really concerned about their loved one who is dying and, and been like, you know, they're not, they don't have a lot of faith or they don't have faith or whatever. And my answer is always the same, which is, well, but do you trust God? Do you trust God to do the right thing? And I think th that for me has always been what it boils down to is whether or not I trust trust God and, and recognize that if God is love, which we're also told in Scripture that God is love, and I'm capable of loving the, you know, this person or that person or, you know, even myself to some degree, <laughs> you know, if I'm capable of that, of that love, imagine God's love for them as well. And how much more God loves and cares for them than I do. And do I think God is a callous God that is just going to go, oh, well, you didn't check mark this box, off you go. Yeah. I, I just, that's, that's... I mean, all of Holy Week is, you know, no matter how you view certain things, um, and, you know, if it differs from, from how you view it, the way I view it, you know, whatever, at the end of the day, you've got Christ washing the feet of Judas. You have him healing the ear of the guy who was going to arrest him, 
you have him asking for forgiveness for those who crucified him. That's the Jesus I know. That's, that's, that's the Jesus I know. Same. That's the Jesus I love. That's the Jesus that, that I follow that says, um, I, I, you know, I, I, I love people, period. Yeah. I love humanity, despite all its flaws, despite all of its, um, all the things we do to each other. So... I want, to, I want to take a minute and I want to read all the portions of Scripture where Jesus is exclusionary, um, where Jesus um, speaks out against women in ordination and preaching the gospel, and all the sections where Jesus talks about the LGBTQ community. Are you ready? Done. Ah. Done. Yep. Like, ah. and go. Done. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not, Paul's a different story, but yeah. Right. G- right. Jesus does well, and, not. and that's the thing. Everybody says, well, Paul. And I'm like, right. Well, are we, are we Christians or are we Paulinians? Right. Right. As, and, as Paul himself said, were you baptized into my death <laughs> and right. resurrection? I don't think so. Right. And, um, and I, 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 I'm kind of like, I, I, I kind of have this have not the same struggles, but I struggle with Paul and Peter. Like I've talked a lot about my struggles with Peter, yeah. But I, and I struggle with Paul, and I, I so I love Paul's conversion, right? Because I think that speaks to me. There, there are a lot of things about Paul I love, and there are a lot of things about Paul that I go, um, dude. Yeah. <laughs> I think he was working through some stuff. Well, again, I think, I, think, I think my struggle with Paul ultimately is the same reason I struggle with Peter. Right. Right? Because ultimately my struggle with Peter is that I think we're a lot more like Peter than we want to admit, or at least that I want to admit. And then Paul, I, again, I think, it's, I think it's, Paul's kind of an easy guy to identify with in a lot of ways. He ain't perfect. He's got major issues, more than most of us, in terms of actually going out and persecuting Christians. And then God says, yeah, pow, I'm going to use you for something different. And again, we're getting ahead of ourselves in Scripture. But boom, I'm going to, you know. We're gonna it really would have been nice if Jesus would have written a few things down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, we at least could have gone, okay, this is, this is, you know, because ultimately we do rely upon. The gospel according to me. <laughs> yeah, um, the gospel according to different people who had different agendas, who had different yeah. interpretations and of audiences. what was happening, different understandings, yep. different backgrounds, different experiences, different ways of telling their story. Um, so I, I, th- I think one of the one of the interesting things you know that I think we can both relate to um, that each each of the writers of the gospels had a had a had a target audience so so let's fast forward to you know today's times each of those um writers of the gospel had a congregation for that they preached to essentially right and what you preach in one congregation what one congregation needs to hear may not be what another congregation so a black congregation a congregation of color is going to hear and need to hear a different message. Yes, it's all still the gospel, but there's nuances to it 
um, you know, a, a, a congregation of color may not need to hear directly about how this about the sinful relationship um, with racism. They may not need to hear that because they kind of experience it. So, and and that and that sermon comes out to them and they and hits their ears and they hear it um, as, as condemnation against them. Well, or or as you know, depending on the angle, they hear it as gospel while somebody else hears it as law. Right. And you know, so and I well, we both run into that. You know, you preach a sermon that talks, you know, sort of addresses the racism, the racism issues, and our congregation is not especially diverse. And again, our community is not especially diverse. No. So it's one of the, one of the struggles we have when we talk about diversity within our congregation. Um, if you go to Publix right down the street, you could take that group from Publix and put them in here in this congregation, and it would look pretty similar in terms of the, right. the diverse, diversity breakdown. Which, so, which is always fascinates me because you go 20 minutes north to where I live and go to Publix, and it looks completely different. Yep. Um, yep. So, so, you know, what, what, what a difference 20 minutes makes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, and, so when we talk about diversity, I mean, it's yeah. one of the challenges we have within this congregation. So they hear, they hear a sermon that addresses those issues in some fashion more likely as law for many of our folks, and they struggle with that and push back against that, um, where... You know, a, yeah, congreg I mean, a, a congregation like, 20 minutes north um, hears it very differently. Yeah. I mean, we've had people that have come to us going, you know, we really don't need to hear this message because it isn't about us. And, yeah, I, I, you know, I, I push back against that a little bit. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, but, I mean, maybe we need to look at the reasons why our community looks the way it does. And what, you know, what, what has fostered it, what has fostered this community in such a way that, that our community looks the way it does? I mean, yeah. again, the, the, probably the most shocking thing I learned when I moved here was to discover that in, as late as the 1990s when I was in college um, and working in college and, and going off and living in California and all that stuff, while I was doing all of that, they still had segregated bathrooms in this town. Yeah. And that just absolutely floors me that that was what was going on. And I get, I, you know, didn't grow up in the South, <laughs> so uh, I'm, I'm not as clued into a lot of that, that stuff that that happened here but when you do talk to you know people who grew up here um you know prior to to us yeah they'll 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 tell you all about it um that their memories are are still pretty vivid yeah um and so yeah i mean we just we have those those struggles but i also want to point out you know when we're looking at how we interpret and understand scripture and if this helps people at all, if you, if you saw uh, the Good Friday um, musical drama thing that, that we, we did, that is an interpretation of the story and how we chose to tell the story instead of just reading scripture 
flat out. We did a dramatic musical retelling of it. Um, and it was interesting. My mom sent me an, an email basically saying, uh, or I should say text message, saying that, you know, oh, it was so beautiful and whatever, and I've never seen anything like it, but it told the story. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, I had to make a lot of decisions when writing that script and when writing that, um, writing some of the music, et cetera. I had to make a lot of decisions of what to include and what not to include. Because I had a time frame that I was working within and I had a limited number of people in terms of actors and singers and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. There was a lot that went into how do I tell this story faithfully? And then, of course, we had, you know, Jesus got COVID and <laughs> had to reshuffle some things around, which required a whole different way of telling the story. Yeah. Um, and, but looking when I, you know, as, as a creative going through that process, there's no way for me to not read scripture through the lens of the person writing it, going, this person made decisions. This person made interpretations. This person writing it, I'm not saying it wasn't inspired. I'm not saying that it isn't saying what it needs to say. What I'm saying is each person who wrote the Gospels, wrote their letters, wrote their laments, wrote their songs and psalms and, and all of that stuff, made choices and interpretations and decided what they were going to include and what they were going to exclude and had to say what what is going to make the biggest impact, what is going to be, to the community I am talking to, what needs to be said. Yeah. And recognizing that that is what scripture does and it addresses issues that you know especially when you look at some of like Paul's writings they're addressing issues that are going on in those congregations that he was like oh we need to talk about this yeah and talk about it in a way that unfortunately many times we'll get lifted up as, oh, wait, the whole church must abide by whatever he just said. Not recognizing what the issue is because we've lost the, um, we've lost the context to the extent that, you know, we don't know the makeup of that congregation. We, we don't know exactly what was going on. We can, you know, make inferences and, you know, deductive reasoning in terms of uh, what was likely going on. And so when you do a flat reading of a text without taking any of that into consideration, it's no wonder we go off in really wonky directions. Right, exactly. You know, and you know, it's, it's funny. One of the things that was not in, in the original right that seemed to stick with people um, and was something that someone, what, a member of the 
quote cast, was like, well, I'll just, I'll just throw Jesus over my shoulder and carry him off. Um, <laughs> that was fun. Because that, 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 that was not the original idea. No. Um, because I, I, I see lots of things going wrong with that. <laughs> amen. Um, and and our, our centurion's like, well, I'll just throw Jesus over my shoulder. Chris originally remembering that the Jesus he was saying that about was a little shorter and <laughs> I think I think we're in the same weight range. Okay. Well, that's yeah, helpful. I think we're in the same weight range. That's good. Um but again, in his interpretation, that was the way it should play out. Not I don't honestly, I don't even I don't even know how it was how it was originally supposed to happen. Well, I mean, the way it was originally supposed to happen was not realistic because right. um, dead men don't walk, uh, <laughs> unless well, of course, unless they're Jesus and it's well, three days later. Three days later, but say, well. um, coming down off that cross, no, I mean, you're, yeah, you know, and but dealing with the logistics of how right. to carry that out in a safe way that was not going to actually have. Um, in this case, you <laughs> taking a header off the <laughs> front of the stage. <laughs> so, and I, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna, I, I have to tell you this when you guys first practiced that, like the first time, where it, like it reminded me, do you remember the scene in Dirty Dancing yep. where she like tries to <laughs> do yep. the lift and it's like, <laughs> yeah. So, in fairness to myself, um. <laughs> When we, when we first practiced it, we had the, the base that the cross was on towards the front of the stage. Yeah. So when, when Drew started to put me over his shoulder, all I saw was, oh my God, that's the edge. If he takes like, a, like one step, stumbles backwards, we're both like, we're calling, the, we're calling the we're ambulance. Goners. Like this is not going to be good. So yeah. So here's the, here's the funny part. Um, I love the show Modern Family. So we were watching reruns of Modern Family the other day, and there's an episode where um, Mitchell and, oh man, I forget his sister's name, Claire, um, we're talking about their, their career as kids as ice dancers. And they're in the parking lot practicing, and she runs up and, and he catches her. Um, and I'm like, oh my God, that was me and Drew. <laughs> um, <laughs> But again, uh, yeah. <laughs> powerful. Yeah. But I mean, it's it's one of those things where I, like I said, I've I've always used the you've you've heard me probably say this over and over again. You know, it's okay. Have uh, William Shakespeare tell the story versus having you know Quentin Tarantino or Stephen King or somebody tell the story. I would it's, love to hear the Tarantino version. Of wouldn't you though? The I mean that that would be something. Like I feel like I feel like. The Gospel of John isn't too far off from from William Shakespeare kind of flower like kind of wordy. Well, yeah, it was a, it, it and, was meant to be written yeah. as as kind of a Greek drama in the style of a Greek drama. So yeah, yeah. Um, but and maybe Quentin Tarantino is a little more like Mark, you know, just kind of bam, 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 bam. Yeah. bam not bam. he's going to tie all kinds of weird things together though. Correct. You know? You're, you're going to have. And he's not going to tell it in order. No, he's no, no, tell no, no, no. It, jump all over the place, kind of pulp fictiony. Well, um, you know, and this is this. <laughs> but if we can work in some Samuel L. Jackson, I, I'm down. I, well, 
Remember when I did my <laughs> my my preaching series on Revelation? Yep. And one of the examples I used, I said, read Revelation <laughs> like you would watch a Quentin Tarantino movie. Yep. Because it's all these different threads that are woven together, all these different kind of storylines that kind of, you know, you're seeing this story from this perspective, and then all of a sudden, oh, hey, there's this character that then there's another story being told, and then you see where the two overlap. And, yeah. and so I've actually used that particular and, and and I would I, I'd kind of love to see Samuel L. Jackson in <laughs> in in some funky uh, retelling of Revelation because man that would be a trip. <laughs> yes. Though I'd love to see I, I actually would love to see Samuel L. Jackson in um, a retelling of of one of the Gospels that that would be interesting as well. Um, it probably wouldn't be PG. No, no, it probably wouldn't. But let's face it, is the crucifixion really PG? No. In la- so in language. Right, I know. But I'm just saying, in terms of the, the content of the Bible in general, is okay, so, not... Okay, so we're like, we're like way off, but I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. So if, if you're casting Samuel L. Jackson, who is he? Right? Huh. He could pull them all off, man. Yeah, but, okay, so you're but you're ca- okay, so you're casting this thing. Samuel L. Jackson is I it would I would have to see what my other pool of of actors is to make that decision to be honest. Yeah. Because I can easily see him doing multiple different roles. Maybe he could do kind of the, the what was it, the Eddie Murphy thing where Eddie Murphy plays multiple characters. Uh, and, Eddie Murphy and, and... And have Samuel L. Jackson play multiple. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> he could be Jesus. He could be, um, he could be a chief priest. He could be a Peter. Because when I think of fishermen, I don't think of gentle no. people. No, 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 no. You know, definitely not. I, I think rough, tough, and and probably pretty foul-mouthed, to be quite honest. I mean, if you've ever hung around fishermen, yeah. um, the docks, it's it's pretty rough. <laughs> yeah. Um. And and recognizing that that's that's who Jesus is hanging out with is kind of a rough group of people. But. And that and that kind of makes that kind of makes the point, right? Uh huh. Like, we got Jesus hanging out with a bunch of crazy, rough people, and that's kind of the point we were making earlier. It's mm-hmm. all gospel. Well, and and recognizing that you know part of you know you think we're way off base here, but I think part of it is how do you tell a story like the Easter story, the the Good Friday story, the stories that are so familiar to people. And bring it to life in such a way that it's it 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 strikes. I, I don't want to say a nerve, but it it um, it hits you in the feels, so to speak. Where you know it's kind of hard when you see something over and over again, or hear something over and over again, to not start to kind of tune it out. So there is that challenge with, with both things like Good Friday and 
Easter Sunday morning of those stories being so familiar, and even, you know, even Christmas, quite frankly, how to tell those stories in a way that people engage with and people are able to hear, in, you know, in a way that really, really touches them. Right. And makes them feel it and makes them see it and experience it. And that's, I mean, that's a challenge. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I want to... I want to backtrack like to the very where our conversation started at the very beginning. It was kind of that social justice piece, right? And 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 just acknowledge that it makes people uncomfortable, right? Yeah. Um and so I could hear people who maybe aren't on the same page with us on that one saying, Well, how do you take the Easter story and make it that? And I think for me. There's make it a, make it what? Make it so, how how do you make the Easter story social justice? Why are you talking to me about oh, well. you know racism and homophobia in the midst of the Easter story, right? And for me, it's not a leap, right? Like for for me, it's it, it's there's, the, there's the resurrection a, is the breaking down of barriers. I mean, it's the right. breaking the barrier of death. Well, and, and, there's, and, and there's an intimacy, and that's really what I was drawn to this year mm-hmm. when I looked at the text was this intimacy where, particularly with Mary, she doesn't know who it is until he says her name. There's an intimacy to that. Um, and, you know, with time constraints, I didn't go into, you know, the whole, you know, Jesus saying, you know, my sheep will know my name or, or sheep will, will know me by my voice. Um, I butchered, that, I butchered that, that piece of scripture, but that's the general point. Right. Um, and there's, a, there's an intimacy to that, that Jesus knows your name. And, and there's an intimacy to, to the whole Holy Week piece that I think we lose on Easter Right, so I think I think it's easy to tie the intimacy to Monday Thursday, where Jesus is literally washing feet. Oh, and by the way, if you're like if you were here Monday Thursday, um, and you're listening to this, kudos to you, man. We washed I washed a lot of feet on Thursday, and I didn't expect to wash feet. I you know we had we had talked. I, I found it interesting that we washed a lot of women's feet. We did, but it, <laughs> but. But I, I was, we, we jokingly said, listen, like if we, if we, I jokingly said, you know, listen, if, if we wash five sets of feet, that's going to be a lot. I will be thrilled. And I, we at least tripled that. I didn't count. But we, we had. We yeah, there had, was a line. So, yeah. And yeah. there were a number of people who said, you ain't washing my feet. That in that moment felt compelled I call that a Holy Spirit thing, yep. to have their feet washed. And then after, say, man, that was so powerful. Like, right? Like, so kudos, kudos to y'all for, like, actually letting the Spirit... Well, we, we, we joke around a lot about, about Lutherans, you know, kind of putting up some barriers to not let the Holy Spirit our, in. Our frozen chosen, yeah. Particularly around music and clapping and things like that. But I, I want to say, I want to acknowledge that we had people that let the spirit in and and that was awesome. So there's an intimacy to Maundy Thursday 
Um, there's, there's even, you know, on some level, an intimacy to Good Friday, not as much. Um, and then you get to, you get to Easter, and I feel like so often we lose that intimacy, right? It's just this big, huge event, and we celebrate it, but we don't focus on the intimate nature of it. That it's that it's not stick, just stick your hands in my side, kind of. Yeah. Right, right, and that, again, that's coming up this week, but but it's all part of the same right. resurrection. I mean, you right. know, it's and it's, I'm just—it's kind of like. Yes, Christ died on the cross, rose from the grave, you know, sort of the God so loved the world piece of it. Mm-hmm. But you're part of that world. Like it's not in a, in, a, in a general broad sense. It's in a deeply individual and intimate sense. And I think when we... They both and. Yeah, right. I, but I think, I think we, at least for me, I, I've often lost that intimate sense of it on Easter. Like you feel it, but you don't focus on it, and I and this year I just really wanted to focus on the yeah. fact that listen, like, and and I think I've said it, it before. I think part of the problem with with Easter is we're trying to relate to something no one's experienced before. I mean, reality. We, none of us have seen someone resurrect from the dead. Right. So we're, we're trying to imagine what that is. We yep. know about death. We know about sorrow. We know about, um, you know, to some degree, we know about humility. Um, we don't know about resurrection from a standpoint of we know about it intellectually, we do not know it intimately right. because we have not gone through it. Yep. It, it still remains that out there piece that is the yet to come for us. And I think on the one hand, and, and I think that's maybe why we do disconnect from it so much on Easter Sunday from the standpoint of it becomes about the bells and whistles and all that kind of stuff because... Yay, it's joyous and it's wonderful because it's something that we will experience at some point, but we do lose the intimacy of it because we weren't Mary standing by the tomb weeping one minute and the next minute discovering the gardener we're talking to is actually, you know, resurrected Jesus. Um, And it's different for us to have a relationship with Jesus here and now. Right. And completely different to actually have walked with, traveled yes. with, learned with, witnessed with Jesus. Yeah. And, and again, that whole faith element of, you know, tr- trusting in, in, in those accounts and in those stories and uh, that that is reality because we don't experience it. And so... I, I get the struggle with the with the intimacy part yep. of, of Easter for, agreed. for all those reasons. Yeah, agreed. Me too. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of the reasons I wanted to highlight this year. Yep. Um, and again, you mentioned the you know, things that stuck out for you this year in the text. And that is the beauty. It's the same text every year. 
Well, not every year. We read it from one of the Right, but I mean, I mean, essentially, yeah. it's, same story. it's the same story. Same basic story. Yeah, same story every That's what I meant to say. Same story every year. Some nuances within the texts, but how do you, how do you present it in a way that is new? And, and one easy way is each time you read it, you're a different person. You're one of the things um, I like to do with what I call directing imagination is you, you take up the role of one of the characters yeah. in the story and put yourself in their place yep. to try to feel, try to identify with them. Um, I, th I think as pastors, we do that quite a bit whenever we're looking at a text is, okay, if I'm this person, how am I feeling about this? If I'm this person, how am I feeling about this? Yeah. Um, I've also tried more recently, if I'm sitting in the pews, how do I hear this text? Mm -hmm. And then... <laughs> how did I hear this text before I went to seminary, and how do I hear it now? Yep. Because yep. let me tell you, it's a big difference. Yeah. It is. It is. Uh, yeah. It... We, and we've, again, we've talked about this, you know, a fair amount. You know, you have this, this experience in seminary where it really breaks, breaks everything down and sort of tries to strip away. I think the modern term for that now is called deconstruction. Yeah, that's, that's true. <laughs> Deconstruct your faith. Yeah. And, you know, and for some, they, t they, they take that word deconstruction as a, as a negative Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's a difference between, between deconstructing and destroying. Right. And I think we have trouble making that, making that distinction between De the Deconstructing two. is trying to, t is, is basically taking all the biases and all of the, um, I guess, preconceived notions we were brought up with and that were infused into our understanding and kind of ripping those away and, and making you look at this through different eyes, through different cultures, um, through, you know, different, just completely different ways in which the gospel is heard, experienced, and how it's been used. And saying, well, you know, this is how it's been used for the past however many hundreds of years in harmful ways. Right. And how do we, you know, how do we deconstruct that? How do we, how do we figure out where, how we got there with it? And now part of what you need to do after you deconstruct is reconstruct. <laughs> Yes. Is, you know, is kind of put all the pieces back together and, and be like, okay, here's my new understanding of this. Yeah. And, and, that, and that's the seminary experience, right? It's, it's, it's I, I would say the seminary experience is the deconstruction exper experience. The reconstruction part, I think, happens much more once we're back in the congregation, once we're back actually having to um, apply it to people's lives again. Well, I think, I, but I think part of it is, I, I want to disagree only slightly, because I think, I think that's true, but I think what seminary does is deconstruct and then builds a foundation upon which to reconstruct. 
Correct. Yes. Yeah. The, founda uh, the foundation's laid there, but we don't actually really get going with it until we're back in the congregation and going, oh, now I've got to make this stuff relevant in people's lives. Yeah. And, and how do you do that? Um, how I, do you do that knowing they're still operating most of the time in, well, in, in a different construct, construct? And how do you do that in a way that, you can, that you're still heard or that the message right. is still heard? So one of... I, 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 like, I like to use the example... Um, how are you presenting this? How are you, how are you, how are you deconstructing? Are you deconstructing with a sledgehammer? Or are you deconstructing with a scalpel? You know, one of them, I mean, both of them, you can put a hole in something. Mm -hmm. Are you unraveling some threads or are you just throwing it in the fire? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, and, and, and I, will, I, will be, I will be really, really honest. They're early in my ministry, I, was, I, I sledgehammered. And I was like, this is, and it was that realizing, wait a minute, this isn't working. Because when you swing that sledgehammer, people see it coming and push back. And you have to know where that line is. And I don't have a problem, clearly, going over the line but it's how far, if you go too far, over, too far over the line, too far past the line, and present it in a way that you're not able to be heard, then there's really no point. Like, at some point, you've, you've lost people, and they're no longer listening. Yeah. Um, and, and, and there's just something about when you learn that maybe the way you learned something either wasn't the right way or wasn't the only way to understand it. There's something threatening about that. Yeah. There, there's something, you know, there's something deeply, deeply threatening. And, and I think part of it is, well, if that's not how it is, then what else yeah. have, you know, what else am I wrong about or what else am I not you know, understanding correctly, and that's scary. Well, it, and it takes a vulnerability to... So I'll, I'll say this as, as, as a, as a, a male-identifying individual and, and using the stereotype, and I don't, I'm not a fan of stereotypes, but you know, vulnerability in men stereotypically isn't as evidenced by Monday, Thursday. The only male feet that were washed were mine. And that's not a knock on you know, the men of our congregation. Um, it, it just is what it is. It is what I mean, it is. Yeah. But, the, but there, is, there, is a, there is a stereotype with, you know, largely speaking, men not, not being vulnerable. Now, personally, I enjoyed the symbolism because, um, as I pointed out in my sermon on Monday, Thursday, uh, the washing of the feet, the, the actual person washing the feet was usually a female slave. So, I mean, there was something symbolic about a guy washing all these women's feet. Well, so, and that was, yeah. that was intentional for, I yeah. mean, for, for many reasons. So, yep. you know, one, we have the male-female dynamic. And two, you know... I preached, you washed. Yeah. 
yeah, which yeah. was a complete role reversal of your your standard stereotypical right. way things are done. Yeah. Yes, and, and I and I, I just I also think that from a leadership standpoint, it was important. Yeah, I I because I, I didn't I didn't I definitely didn't want it to seem like oh well, Pastor Chad's making Pastor Rebecca wash feet. I didn't like the way that looked either. Yeah. Um, so. But I, I don't know. I, he has risen. Indeed. Hallelujah. It, it's really that simple <laughs> and that complicated and that powerful, right? Like it's not mm-hmm. just a simple up. Yeah, he's up. He woke up and got out of bed. There's something deeply intimate to that and... I think we'll dig into that as as the as the weeks come. I think next week is is doubting Thomas. Yeah. I think and then doubting I, Thomas, and then I think we have maybe feed my sheep or something like that, or yeah, yeah, something like that. And I think Jesus makes breakfast on the beach. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Good stuff coming up. Well, hope you all had a happy Easter um, and a uh, meaningful, impactful Holy Week. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.